Well, this morning, I have got an incredible announcement. Uh, I want to just say wow to what God is doing. We have uh, been in a season of multiplication. I'll talk about that in a second. Uh, but it is my pleasure, and we're going to welcome everybody to church today, not only uh, our brand new uh, folks at the Groves location in the Beaumont area, but also Nacogdoches and everybody online, Iglesia Timber Creek, the Duncan Unit and the Dieball Correctional Center, uh, all of our people at the broadcast location, and starting tomorrow night, we are launching another prison venue right in our backyard. It is a complete Spanish-speaking venue. It is Iglesia, Duncan, and they already have 60 men already together. Come on, let's welcome them in. God is a God of multiplication. And as we continue to simply be faithful with what he's given us, he wants to take what we place in his hands. That's the key. We have to place it in his hands. He will bless it. He'll break it. Then he hands it back to us. In the feeding of the 5,000, do you know that it wasn't 5,000 people? It was actually 5,000 men. So it was 5,000 families. It was more like 15,000 people. And with just a simple to-go box from Long John Silver's, he multiplies. They put a little to-go box in his hands, he prays for it, he blesses it, and he puts it back in the disciples' hands. I want you to think about this. What he places back in their hands isn't all of a sudden like a big old backpack full. He places right back in the disciples' hands a little bit, but as they distribute it, it continues to multiply and multiply and multiply and multiply. But the first step that they had to do is they had to listen to God, they had to trust God, they had to place everything they had, they had to first place it in his hands so he would bless it, and then everything he gave back to them multiplied. That's the way God's kingdom works. Next week, next week is our all-in one-year anniversary. It's been 12 months since we launched all in. And for those of you that are uh, brand new to Timber Creek and one of our locations, All In was not just a series. It was way more than a series. All In was a two-year initiative, a two-year season of accelerated vision initiatives. It was a two-year season that we launched last end of March to go into two years of faithful expectation of how God wanted to advance his kingdom through this particular local church. And God has been blessing. And over the next few weeks, we're gonna give some awesome reports of what God has done in a miraculous way. And that vision initiative, vision is what you wanna look like down the road. There are really two prongs to that, multiplying leaders and multiplying locations. We believe the best way we can reach unchanged Churched, uh, unfound people for God is to launch new works, new 
churches. Churches are the greatest. The best thing we could do for a community is have some great churches in that community. And there are some churches that need to be launched. There are some churches that need to be relaunched. And we can't have great churches without great leaders. And so we're going to be able to talk about how God is expanding our influence. God is expanding our foot, his footprint through Timber Creek Church, multiplying leaders and multiplying locations. Last year, though, I invited us to do three very specific things in All In, and they were this, for all of us to pray like never before. We gotta be praying like never before. Pray the Lord of the harvest would send forth labors. Praying for unchurched people. Praying for Fran, F-R-A-N, or France, because we've changed it now to France because it's friends, relatives, associates, neighbors, and for all of our guys in Duncan and Dieball and Iglesia Duncan, cellmates. That's the C, the friends, friends, relatives, associates, neighbors, and cellmates. We're, we're praying for those people like never before. We're inviting you to engage like never before. Now is the best time to give of your time and your talent and also to simply give like never before. Many times people have an issue and the church starts to talk about money. People get funny. Keep your, keep your hand, keep my finances out your mouth. And yet, and yet it's not about keeping our finances away from the church. It's about investigating our heart. So as we get ready for next week to have two weeks before Easter just to go all in and just kind of reaffirm where we're headed and celebrate what's already happened in the first 12 months, I need to push pause today and just give you a, a warning label. I, I, need to, I need to give everybody like just a, a little bit of a caution sign, a warning label. And you know, we live, how many of you know, we live in a Sue happy culture, don't we? I don't mean your friend Sue. I mean, Sue, I'm going to sue you. You're going to sue me. We're just going to all be a fine, suing, happy family. Like we're, we're just sue happy. We're going to sue for this, sue for that. That's why you have to have every, after every radio announcement, there's like, some details, store for details. Like you, you have to have all these things, these disclaimers. I don't know if you saw on, on Netflix, there was an entire documentary about back in the 90s that Pepsi did a commercial about these Pepsi points, and the very last thing they put on the commercial was if you get a, enough points, you could win a fighter jet. But they didn't put a disclaimer, and so somebody actually raised enough money to buy enough points and they took Pepsi to court for their fighter jet. It's a, you probably ought not watch it. It's probably not good. But, but I'm just saying, we live in a Sue happy. And so warning labels get more and more serious. Haven't you seen that? Like, like look at this. Uh, this is American fishing lures. And <clears throat> you, you know what a fishing lure is, you know. Um, but look at the warning label. <clears throat> Harmful if swallowed. Well, duh, isn't that like what a lure is? Like you want it to be, like you want it to get, you know, but I think that's talking more about the humans. Harmful if swallowed. I like this one. Um, remove child before folding. That's important information to have. Hey, here's another one. Uh, this is like a, 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 a reflective vest. Day or night use only. I don't know what other use you would have behind day or night. I don't know what we're talking about, you know, dusk or dawn, but day or night use only. Hey, here's one that I found very helpful. Checking a baby's diaper, this is the right way. 
touch. Here's another one. I, touching wires causes instant death. And if you don't die, it's a $200 fine. One of, my, one of my favorite ones I saw on, on the interwebs is do not sit on fence. I, hello, I don't think you have to tell me twice. Don't sit on that fence. But obviously they had to put it up because look, one of them broke off. Bob put it to the test and now his nickname is Shishko Bob. That's what he, that's what he is. The Grand Canyon, one of the marvels of the world, and since the mid-1800s, there have been over 700 deaths of people falling at the Grand Canyon. Now, some of them, unfortunately, have been intentional, but over 70% are unintentional deaths at the Grand Canyon. As many signs as they might post, people just love to go to the edge. They love to push the limits. Just recently, two years ago, a young girl was trying to get a selfie with the sign that said, stay away from the edge, loose rocks, and literally fell on rocks and plunged to her death because she was ignoring the warning label. 66 books in the Bible written by over 40 authors over the span of 1,500 years in three different languages. It's not a rule book. It's a life-giving book. It's not a book about people trying to get close to God. It's about a God who wants to get close to people. I love the song we sang earlier, your goodness is running after, running after, before you could ever run after him. Before you could ever get all the right ducks in a row, he runs after you. Before the foundations of the earth were formed, he had a plan to offer you the kind of safety and salvation. But through Genesis to Revelation, there's some warnings. There's some cautions. There's some, there's some labels that we have to be aware of. As a matter of fact, if you're taking notes the number one warning and problem in scripture. The number one warning and problem all throughout scripture. I wanna talk about that today. I wanna to talk about the number one caution sign, the number one warning sign, and here it is. It's, it's wrapped up in one simple word, and it's the word idols. It's the number one Thing. And in America, oh, be careful because we're not talking about clay things with tufts of hair. We're, we're not talking about chicken bones and blood. We're, we're, we're not talking about totem poles. We're, we're talking about everyday stuff that gets in the way. I mean, like the first thing God says out of all the things the Israelites were to do to have a healthy and safe life was don't have any other gods before me. Warning signs all through scripture right here in Deuteronomy 6. Don't follow other gods. The gods of the peoples around you for the Lord your God who is among you is a jealous God. Now, when we think of jealousy, we put a, we put a, a dysfunctional wrap around it because we don't understand a purity of jealousy because our own emotions get in the way and we get offended and, and we, we, we get touchy and, and, and feely. And, but jealous, that pure emotion of God that is, that is right. He's like, I, don't, I want you to myself. I don't want to share you 
with any other lower G, lowercase g, gods. Later on in Deuteronomy, caution, careful, warning, or you're going to be enticed. You're going to be enticed to turn away and worship other gods and bow down to them. And our bowing down to them looks a lot different today in 2023 than just a, than just a knee and, and foreheads to the ground. Our bowing down is, is basically offering our lives, like, like in the service of that substitute king, that substitute God, that idol. I want to challenge us, before we can ever go all in, we got to deal with the number one problem in the word that's the number one problem in my life and in your life even today in 2023. Maybe you'd write this down. Where there is idolatry, wherever there's idolatry, here's what happens. Here's the, here's the response, the, the action and the reaction. The glory of God is being robbed. God will be given glory. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. He will be given glory. But wherever there's idolatry, we are robbing God of his glory. How do you define glory? Well, you can, you can define it in a lot of different ways. I like to say it's the full weight of who he is. The glory days. Remember Uncle Rico? When I was in high school, I'd throw a football over the mountains. Those were the glory days where you could feel the full weight of who he was. Uh, dads or mom, you ever wrestle with your kids when they're smaller? And they pin you to the ground in the living room like, oh, you got me. It's because you have not shown them your glory, your full weight of who you really are, right? They're eight and they're like, I got you. My son is 14 and what he loves right now is he loves kind of like poking at me right now. I mean, it's like poking a bear. I mean, it may be like a koala bear, but it's poking a bear, okay? And he loves to do this thing. He's like, let's go. Let's, let's go. Let's go. I think I'm ready. I think I'm ready. And so I, I say, you ready? Okay, can you even lift me up? He's like, ah, you know. He does, I'm not going to give him my full glory because I would smash him for now. A couple years, who knows? But think of it like beauty and basketball. I, I, I can define for you basketball, a 10-inch sphere wrapped in leather. You bounce it. If you pick it up and bounce it again, that's a rule you can't break. You bounce it down a court. You, you throw it, and you throw it into a basket on the top of a pole. That's how you make some points. I can try and describe to you basketball, but think about basketball and think about beauty. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. It's hard for me to describe Beauty, what one person might see as beauty, someone else might see differently. Beauty is an eye of the beholder, and I want you to know glory, the beauty of glory of God is robbed when there's anything that edges God out of first place. Anything that pushes God to the back seat, anything that edges God out, and I wanna tell you, Edges God out, ego, E-G-O, edging God out. One of the biggest idols we have is our ego. 
how we look and how we want people to see us. But I want to talk about really the big three idols all throughout scripture. And I want you to see how these three idols can so quickly be in our own lives even today. They may not be a physical expression on your shelf, but they definitely can have a physical expression in self. Here are the big three. You can write them down in your notes. Mammon. Everybody say mammon. mammon. Very good. Here's the next one. Baal. Everybody say Baal. Got to post Baal. No, it's a whole different thing. Whole different thing. Okay. Baal. Here's the third one. Asherah. Everybody say Asherah. These are the three key lower G gods in the Bible. There are other gods that are talked about, but these are the three key lowercase g gods. And they had different focuses where the Israelites and others would, would cling to those idols for this kind of opportunity from them. They wanted to get something in return by bending a knee and offering their glory to this God, okay, giving glory to this God. Here are the three. Mammon was the God of possessions, the stuff we got. In scripture, Jesus himself says, you cannot, you cannot serve both God and mammon. In that, he's talking about money, where your treasure is, your heart will be. Where, what I have a heart after, my treasure's gonna follow, and you have to be so, 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 so careful about your treasure because so quickly possessions become a lower G God, and we are bowing to the God of mammon when our finances or our stuff becomes, begins to edge God out. Baal was the, the God of power, might, ability to provide a provision kind of God. There was several stories about the prophets of Baal needing him to show up and with power to give them what they needed. And then you had the Asherah God, which was the God of pleasure, sexuality, lust, enjoyable things, not just a lust for maybe a flesh thing, but like even, uh, even food, um, uh, uh, vacation. So often, very easily, subtly, it's not this blatant whoop, whoop, but these little gods creep up into our lives, the God of Mammon and Baal and Asherah. Let me show you a few ways in scripture that we see it and the warning labels that come with them. Look at here in Genesis 3, the very first story of temptation of the enemy. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, well, after those things, she took some and ate it. Before we're ever even introduced to lowercase gods, we see the issues and the, and the desire, the pull of those idols. You see here, good for food, pleasing to the eye, desirable for regaining wisdom. Well, this is Asherah, which is pleasure, good for food. It's pleasurable to me. Pleasing to the eye, that's the whole mammon, the possession. I wanna have this, this is something special to me. Desirable for gaining wisdom, that's power. Baal, the God of power, like I wanna have the power in me instead of trusting in the power of God. I wanna be like God. 
We then go to the book of Matthew in Matthew chapter four, five, uh, four and five and six, and we see that the enemy comes in and tempts Jesus after he's baptized and goes into the wilderness for 40 days. The tempter came to him and said, if you're the son of God, notice that the enemy at the Garden of Eden comes in and says, did God really say he is always questioning identity? Identity is one of the most popular idols in America today. Do you not see that? The idea, do not challenge any kind of my own feelings towards identity, and identity has become the idol. If you're, the son, if you're really identified as the son of God, well then you see these stones, tell these stones to become bread. Later on, the enemy says the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the son of God, well, why don't you throw yourself down? And the scripture goes on to say your angels will, will, will gather you. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor, the, the look of them. All this I'll give you. If you'll just bow down and worship me. So let's look at it. Turn these stones to bread. Throw yourself down. All this I will give you. Well, we've got the God of pleasure, the food. We have throw yourself down, bail power, like prove your power. This I will give to you, the possessions. You can have all of it and all the glory that comes with it. Let me show you one more place in the New Testament, 1 John. Don't love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father's not really in him. Everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, the boasting of what he has and does, that comes not from the Father, but from the world. In another translation, it would say the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Cravings of sinful man, lust of his eyes, boasting of what he has done. We see the pleasures the cravings, the lust of his eyes. I've got to have that. I got to have that possession, boasting of what he's done, he hasn't done, that power that comes with it. So here's the question. Is it possible? Write it down. Is it possible? This is crazy. This is crazy. Is it possible that our hearts haven't changed that much since the Old Testament? Is it possible? that the same old junk in a brand new form is still the same old junk? So my question for you today is, when it comes to possessions or power or pleasure, what seems to be the enticing lure that's harmful if swallowed for you? See, the enemy, the book of James says, he, he is crafty. And he entices us out by putting lure. He entices us away with what our desires are. So for some of you, it may be a money stuff. Authority, power, control stuff. Little Debbie's, <laughs> whatever it is. <laughs> and here's what's even crazier. Here's what's crazier. I'll start with this story. Wasn't planning on sharing this. My, my brother got married five days after he graduated high school. Um, 
his girlfriend at the time was five months pregnant. Nobody was forcing them to get married fast. Um, but that was the decision that they wanted to make. Uh, about six months after uh, Noah was born, uh, Jared, my brother, his, his wife came to me on a Wednesday night. I was a youth pastor at the time in Kansas and she comes to me crying and says, Jared, Jared's kicked us out of the house. Jared's kicked us out of the house. He, he's decided he's done. And being the strong, mature, Christ-following youth pastor I was at the time, I jumped in my car and drove to his apartment and got in a fist fight with my brother. Um, what are you thinking? What are you doing? And, and I was enticed to, to act in a way that was trying to put the power in big brother's hand to try and knock some sense into him. And that was a God. The very next day, I'm in my office, I get a phone call on a landline. Teenagers, I wanna explain that to you for a second. Uh, get a phone call, hey, your brother's online too. I'm like, oh, he's probably calling to apologize or whatever. I pick up the phone, he says, hey, I'm at the Honda dealership. Um, will you co-sign for a motorcycle for me? I said, are you out of your ever loving mind? What? Like, why would he even think for a second, I've kicked my family out, I'm gonna go get a, you know, a Honda motorbike. Like, that's the answer to your, and big brother who you just had an encounter with. Well, for him, there was something desirable about a possession. For me, it was taking matters into my own hands and the power. For him, it was a possession and freedom. And every single one of us, we want blessings on those things. We want people to pat us on the back for jumping in and doing something, telling it how it is. And, and you have just, I bowed to the knee of a false God. And he was bowing to the knee of a false God, thinking that all of a sudden, stepping away from his family and getting a motorcycle was gonna be the answer to all his stuff because he was missing out on life. I'm thrilled to say that 21 years later, my, my brother and his three boys, their middle son is severely autistic, nonverbal, and, and Jesus just has a, a, a sweet touch of grace on his life, but the other two boys are serving Jesus radically, and they're pastoring a church. They took a tiny little church in a little town, and, and they have now four campuses in a, in a, in a city of 11,000, and they're running 700, and they had 22 people, and God has a plan, but they had to kill the idols. They had to figure out who, whose God are we really going to serve. And so often I want to say to you that we want to pray prayers for God to bless stuff in our lives that is really blessing a false God. Write it down. God will not bless his primary competition. God, God's not interested in bless, putting a special favor on you to go after false gods. God bless my finances. When's the last time your finances blessed him? God, 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 we want to have this nice stuff. When, when, when have we made sure that the nice stuff didn't have us and that God had us first? But I deserve this. Well, what does he deserve? First, always first. God will not bless his primary 
competition in your life. So next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about all in. And I guarantee you there are some people, I'm going to give, put you off the hook. If you don't like the church talking about money, if you don't like the church talking about giving, don't come. Don't come. But let me also just pop a squat for a second and say to you, if you have a problem when the church talks about giving, it's not a giving problem. It's an idle problem. I'm telling you this. I'm telling you this. It's a hard issue with us. What we do, though, is we, we excuse that hard issue by pointing to other people's hard issue. Because there have been churches that have manipulated people. Ministries on television that have manipulated. Abuse of giving. And so what we do is to say, well, I knew, I knew this church and they did the giving and they just uh, abused it all. And so what we do is we put a band-aid of pointing the finger over here and we've never talked about our own idols, our own putting God first. You ever see someone holding a cardboard box, a cardboard sign and hungry, can I have some food? And your first response is, if I gave them money, they would just, they just, you know, abuse it anyway. They'll just, it'll just be taken. What I give them, it'll just be taken advantage of. Anybody ever thought that? I have. Maybe that's just me. Is it just me? Am I that terrible? <laughs> oh, no, they're just gonna go get drugs with that or they're gonna go do this or not. Never even knowing their story, never asking them what their story is. Can I also tell you that sometimes God just wants us to, to risk being taken advantage of. Otherwise, we're in control and we want the power and we're gonna put our own fortress together. So, it's easier to get down than up these days. <laughs> Here's what the prophet Jeremiah, I wish I was named after the prophet in the Bible. I was named after a song. Jeremiah was a bullfrog. That's, that's what I was named after. This is what the prophet Jeremiah says. He gives a warning. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads. So that's, that's the first thing we're gonna do today, okay? Stand at the crossroads. Do you know in order to stand at the crossroads, it means that you have to take an, an exterior perspective. Usually we're driving through crossroads. We're in a process of going, 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 going that we never slow down and just stand. I'm just inviting you for the next few moments we have to pull away from going, 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 getting out of service into the next thing, picking up your kids and going to spend the rest of your Sunday to just stand in the crossroads for a minute with me and with Jesus. To stand and look. To, to take some examination of the potential gods in our hearts. I'm calling it self-shelf inventory where we, we take the spiritual clipboard and we look at the, the shelves and there may not be a totem pole on the shelf, but there very well could be a God that's not God on the shelves of our heart. Let me ask you eight very quick questions. And I want you to really stand at the crossroads and think if you try to answer these questions as purely and honestly to yourself as possible. Number one. Where do I really place my trust, my fundamental safety? 
What do I find my most safety in? Trust answers the question, am I safe? So when I trust you, I can talk to you about anything because I feel like I'm safe. My words are safe with you. My finances are safe with you. I can trust you with my life. I can trust you with my wife. I can trust you with my wallet. Because I trust you, I'm safe. Where do you place your trust? The Bible's clear, some trust in horses and chariots. But that trust is where I really find safety net. Is that in the savings account? Is that in the accolades of your father? Is that in the possessions? Number two, what do I complain about the most? I want you to think about this. And for some of you, you're like, my husband. <laughs> Could I tell you that yeah, he never does this and he's always doing this and I wish he would do this and I wish he would do that. Could it be, could it be that your expectations of your spouse have become an idol in your life because you are expecting them to be God, perfect, have all the answers, treat you in a way that's best, totally be able to be trustworthy, be perfect. And many times what happens in marriage is our spouse becomes a very terrible substitute for God. What do I complain about the most? Not having a politics. Do we complain about our politics the most? What we have and what we don't have, who didn't in, in who who is in the White House, who's not in the White House, who shouldn't be in the White, who should be like all this stuff. Could it be a God? Could red and blue be God in you? Number three, what do I sacrifice time and money for? What do I sacrifice time and money for? Just, 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 just investigate. Or we're not saying it's wrong to sacrifice time and money but what do you do it for? And, and what is the benefit of it? Oh, here's one, number four. Uh, what do I worry about? Do you know what worry is? You just write it, write it next to it. It's not in the blanks, but just, it's counterfeit faith. Worry is counterfeit faith. When I worry about something, I am putting faith in something not going the way it should go. I put more faith in what might go wrong versus the God who holds everything together. What do I worry about? Number five, what makes me think if I lost this, life wouldn't be worth living? If I lost my job, if I lost my kids. But that sounds harsh. That sounds, that sounds tough. But you know, so quickly, we can find our value and our worth more in our children than we do in our God. And that's not how we ought to lead our, our children. Number six, where do I go when I get hurt? Is it to a friend? Is it to a, is it to a vice? Is it to a lust? Is it to a, a bottle? Where do I go? 
I'm just going, it is wine o'clock up in here tonight. I'm going to relax. I'm going to binge Netflix. But first, wine. And so quickly, for some of us, wine, alcohol is your God. Because it's pleasurable. Because it, it eases your emotion. It can cheer you up. It can soften the edge. And yet Jesus says, come to me, those of you that are weary and heavy laden. Is your pastor against a glass of wine? I personally don't drink. Not against a glass of wine. But I'm against anything that wants to take the place of God in your life. Anything. Number seven. What brings me the most joy? Wine o'clock. There you go again. Like joy, that buoyancy in the middle of craziness. What brings you the most joy? Whose applause, number eight, do I really long for? I struggle with this one, everybody. I've always wanted to feel like I measured up with my peers. But physically, I didn't. I wanted to be noticed. Physically, I wasn't. And so I built a life on working really hard. And if I wasn't going to be noticed as tall, dark, and handsome, and to fix that, whenever I kiss Janet, I stand on a chair and I turn off the lights. It's tall, dark, and... What applause do I long for? I, you, I played sports in high school, and uh, there, could be a, there could be an entire uh, basketball, uh, a stadium full of, bleachers full of people. But I tell you, I could always hear my mom and dad's voice over anybody. And wasn't, I wasn't playing for just the applause of bleachers. I really wanted the applause of mom and dad. And I want you to know, God sees you, and he loves you, and he's cheering you on. Whose applause are you longing for? And so back to Jeremiah, this is what the Lord says, stand at the crossroads and look. So with three or four minutes we have left, let me offer you some next steps today. Let me just offer you some, some very practical next steps Okay. As we stand and we look, as you do some self-shelf inventory on those eight questions, can, can I ask you this? Can you let go? Can you let go? Look at what Jonah writes. He had his own idols he had to deal with. Jonah, in Jonah chapter two, here's what he writes. It's a prayer to the Lord. Take this in. I think some of you ought to pull your phone out and take a picture of this next slide because it's gonna be a reminder this week for you. Here it is in Jonah chapter two. Those who cling to worthless idols, if you're hanging on to the possessions, the power, and the pleasure, hanging on to the guns, the glory, and the girls, the power, the money, and the sex, 
the big three. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. We make a terrible trade on the grace that could be yours because we're hanging on to the wrong stuff. (laughs) But Jonah gives us the answer. He gives us the antidote. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, so with my right heart of giving thanks, I will sacrifice to you. If you really, really, really want to learn how to let go of idols that many times hang on to you and you hang on to them, with a song of thanksgiving, sacrifice to God. When it comes to all in in the next two weeks, it's not about giving money from our wallets. It's part of funding the kingdom of God on earth. But it's not about giving money from our wallets. It's about removing any idols from our hearts. That's what it's about. That's what you cannot be all in if you're still hanging on over here to the things that become false gods. So next steps, let go. Let go of your desire to be the final authority. Let go of your desire to have to have everything the exact same way the Smiths have it down the road. And this is what the Lord says, stand at the crossroads and look. And then he says, ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is. From Genesis to Revelation, the antidote to the false gods, the antidote to the grabbing on to the things that will not give you long-term success is to ask God for what the real way is. His ancient path that since the very beginning is give your life to me, trust me with everything. Seek first my kingdom and all the other things will be added to you. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is. And guess what? He is a good, good father. When you ask him a question, he doesn't say, well, that's a stupid question. He says, I'm so glad you asked. And walk in it. So you got to move from standing and evaluating and you actually have to put feet to it. You have to walk in it. It takes some time. It takes some steps of faith. It takes activity. You can't just in a vacuum without any kind of movement, think that you're going to break off those, the bondage that comes with false gods in our lives. You have to act. And so some of that acting is, is, is removing anything that's taking the place of God. It's Song of Thanksgiving. Every time you come into church, you are shaking off idols in the parking lot. I'm telling you, you you, you are taking a step. You're walking, you're reminding. No, 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 no. A lot of people say, I don't got enough time in the week to go to church. A lot of people say, I don't really need that. I got my own stuff. And they've got their own wisdom. They got their own power. They got their own pleasure. They got their own possessions. People are trading in Sunday afternoon and Sunday morning pleasures that will be incredibly temporary instead of taking some dedication consistently through their year for the sake of themselves and for their children. For the sake of you and your children, every time you show up to church, it is a sacrifice of your time. It's a sacrifice 
of your praise. It's a sacrifice of the other things you could do that are pleasurable. I like to sleep in when I can. I'd love an extra day of the week to mow my lawn. But I want you to know that when you get up and everybody else in your neighborhood is tending to the garden and watching ESPN and you've gotten your kids in the back seat, they're saying, well, the Martins, they're, they're, they're going jet skiing today. Well, you know, the Smiths, they're going to go do this and do that. Why can't we go with the Smiths? And you say, get in the car. We're going to church. You are preparing a place where they will walk in the way that they're meant to walk so that the idols can be crushed. Listen, I want this for you, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna be jealous. I want this for my kids and for my wife and for me more than I want it for you. Because if I'm not careful, me wanting it more for you would make me blind to the kind of man of God and father that I need to be for my own children. My own spouse. I've got to lead the way in this in my family first. <laughs> Do you know what happens when you look and you ask and you walk? It can be a little tiring, can it? Like, whew, man, it would be nice to skip church. And look, look, my wife ain't in the first service today. <gasps> what? Daughters in town, spring break, they're all coming to the second service, but they take the first service off today. But as we walk in it, do you know what he did? And you will find rest for your souls. If you work hard for all those little G gods, you're gonna keep working and working and working. And every single little G God, here is the guarantee that little G God will give you, a life enslaved to that God. But the kingdom of God is completely reversed. It's just crazy. God's smart, y'all. He says when all the other gods say, you gotta work, 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 work. Walk in me and you'll get to rest, 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 rest. Because I'm the one that will do the work for you because I'm God. And those little G's can't do the work because they're not really God. So write them down. Let go. Ask. Walk it out. And find the rest. Before we ever can go all in. We got to get some stuff out. And we got to start walking in the right way. For some of you, that biggest little G God would be your first name. It would be Jeremy. That Jeremy wants to be my God. <laughs> my will, my way, my desire, my pleasures, my possessions, my power. And I had to choose early on and had to rededicate a time or 12 that I wasn't going to bow a knee to Jeremy, but I was gonna bow a knee to Jesus. And maybe that's you today. Maybe that's just what, maybe that's the decision that you need to, to look at and, and walk in today. With every head bowed, every eye closed, all across our campuses, would you just Take a moment and pray with me.
God's after your heart. And if you're here today and maybe it's gonna be the first time for you, or maybe the first time in a long time, but you say, Jesus, I want you to be God, to have all the glory that is yours. That means I have got to step off the throne of my heart and I've got to recommit to you or commit for the very first time. And maybe you don't even know what all that looks like, but you know it's the right step right now. If that's you at all across our locations with some boldness and faith, I'm gonna invite you to right now, just put a hand right up in the air and then you can put it right down. Just put it right up in the air and then put it right down. And in your own words, you say, Jesus, I don't want anything to be a fake, false God. You are the one true God. Our Father in heaven sent you to die on a cross for me, for humanity. And I embrace that gift of sacrifice that washes my sin away, that gives me access to you. And I wanna begin to walk in it today. Thank you for not being mad at me today, but for giving me this moment to make things right. I place you in the only place you deserve, and that is first place in my life. While we're still praying, can you offer up maybe a palms up right where you're sitting and just invite Jesus to do some self-shelf inventory? The psalmist says, search my heart, O God. We, we don't do very good searching all the corners of our heart. And in this moment, would you just say, search me, God. Have I let anything become a little G God in my life? If so, I'm declaring today, you are my God. And I will not let these fake, false idols take your place. Will you help me, Jesus? Will you give me the strength? Will you give me clarity? Will, will you give me insight on how to truly live with you as the one and only God in my life? And I ask it in your son's precious name. Everybody said amen.